Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of leading conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. This is Cheryl Esposito. Welcome to Leading Conversations today. We have a special guest, Adam Kahane, who is an author of Solving Tough Problems, an Open Way of Talking, Listening, and Creating New Realities. Adam is also an international mediation consultant and a leading designer and facilitator of processes through which business, government, civil society, and leaders can solve their toughest, most complex problems. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks, Cheryl. How are you doing today? Well, I'm fine. Fine. Getting ready for a long trip. Where are you going? Well, um, I've started some work the last uh, few months on climate change, so I'm going to work on that a bit in Europe and then to Israel and South Africa. So, You are a world traveler. <laughs> well, I like the work and I go to where it takes me. That's so. great. Our focus today is world-changing conversations, and we want to talk about how that needs to happen from the heart. Adam, your background um, it brought you to this kind of work that you're doing today, um, but you didn't go to school to learn how to design problem-solving processes, so to speak. So how did you get into this field? Well, um, I guess like a lot of things, I fell into it by by accident, I uh, was trained um, uh, as, a, as an analyst, as somebody who would compute the answers to problems. I studied physics and economics and had a job at Shell, the international offices of Shell in London. And uh, very unexpectedly in 1991, uh, we had a request to provide some advice to a group of South Africans who were uh, trying to figure out how peacefully they could make the transition away from apartheid. And I got involved in advising and facilitating that process and found myself swept up in what we would now call uh, multi-stakeholder problem-solving work. So I fell into it very much very much unprepared and open and by accident, and maybe that's why maybe that's why it worked. <laughs> Not so much planning in the in the planning field. Oh, well, not so much knowing. Mm. Sort of just entering with a sense of wonder and and admiration, and that turned out to be a good place to be coming from. Oh, interesting. Of course, that is something you do need to have when you're looking at how to solve problems. Now, one of the um, processes you use, and apparently from what I've read, you use it a lot, is scenario planning. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? Well, uh, scenario planning was originally developed um, in the military uh, as a way of do, doing battle planning for, hmm. for military leaders to think about what would we do if, if the enemy came from this side and what would we do if the enemy came from that side. So imagining different possible futures or stories or scenarios so as to prepare for no matter what would happen. Right. Uh, in the late uh, 60s, early 70s, it was taken up 
as a tool for strategic planning in the corporate sector, particularly in Shell, and that's that's where I learned it in the late 80s. My um, my big surprise, my big discovery, I guess, in South Africa, is that when a group of leaders uh, who are all part of a problem situation, as uh-huh. they were in South Africa, mm-hmm. uh, systematically tell stories like that. So what might happen and what would we do if this happened? That it's a, a great way of developing a common language about the future. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what happened in South Africa, and that's, that's what we've been doing in other situations ever since. Well, you know, it's fascinating because it seems um, in some ways like common sense, and yet the um, the opportunity or the willingness for um, many organizations, whether they're governmental or um, corporate or you know in different areas, it, it seems like they're they're not so willing to look at the potential. Um, have you had that experience? Uh, you know, and if you have, what would any reason why they wouldn't want to do this? Well, I think most people, certainly myself most of the time, uh, uh, want to keep a firm grip on uh, knowing the way things really are Mm. and um, being certain about what's happening and what will happen and what we ought to do about it. Mm. And it takes an unusual openness or maybe um, a certain measure of frustration or even desperation Hmm. for people to loosen their grip and be willing to say, you know, how might this turn out and what what is needed of me and, and what should I do? So it's really being willing to move from a knowing stance to a, to a questioning stance or an open stance, and right. uh, it's not just organizations that have that don't usually do that. Uh, individuals don't usually do that. Yeah, you're right. Um, and it seems that that um, pattern has become even more ingrained in our global society. You know, needing to know and not being willing to um, be the one who asks the questions, um, and so that's really why your your skills are needed so much. Where do you find your clients? How do they get to you? Well, I was lucky that the that original work in South Africa, which became known as the Montfleur Scenario Project, became well known and and uh, became part of the storytelling around how South Africans managed to do what nobody thought that they could do, hmm. which was a peaceful a peaceful way out of their 300-year-old conflict. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've I've gone from word of by word of mouth mm-hmm. from right. from one of those uh, efforts to another, and um, I'm I'm trying to learn how to do this. I'm trying to learn mm-hmm. how how the people who together created a problem can together sort it out peacefully. And that turns out to be something that not only... I'm not the only one wondering how to do that. Right. There's a lot of people wondering how to do that, and and that's given given me an 
a lot of opportunity to, uh, yeah, to learn how to do this yeah. with others yeah. uh, around the world over over the last 15 years. So even in your implementation of this, you're practicing the principle of the learning in the process and the being the wanderer. Can you share with us um, a little bit of some of the what the real story was that came out? You, know, you said they developed stories in Africa, in South Africa, around what some of their possible futures could be. Can you give us a taste of what um, a couple of those are? Well, I'll... I'll answer that question, but just to go back uh, uh, to what you were saying a minute ago, uh, I think we're far away from knowing how to do this well, so I'm, mm-hmm. I don't have any kind of certainty that I've got a recipe or, or a rule book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think these are, these are human struggles. Yeah. Uh, Immanuel Kant said, out of the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing was ever made. So any time I think uh, I or we have got it all figured out, I bump my head uh, yeah. really hard and uh, and uh, and get corrected, as they say in South African, attitude adjustment club, A A K. So so I think uh, in a situation like that, um, as in many situations, there's really no sane alternative except to do what you think you can and to see what you can learn and see how you can do it better next time. And so, um, go ahead. No, sorry. And so in that, in as you are, it's almost like you're experimenting each time you work with a group to do this. Would you say that's true? Well, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I now have a lot of experience, so I have some ideas of what, of what works and what doesn't work, right? But the essence of this work is that the people involved must together find their own way forward. Right. So right. it's not as though I'm giving the answer or right. even giving the method to find the answer. Right. And right. the I think the the crucial thing about this work, which which is a is a paradox, is if people fall into being weight to waiting to be told what to do, mm-hmm. or if I fall into thinking I can tell people what to do, then I've then I've ruined it from the beginning, or then we've ruined it from the beginning. This is mm-hmm. above all about people leading themselves rather than being led by by bosses or presidents right. or foreign consultants. Right, right. So, so it's all about. Um, People, diverse groups of people, learning how to find their way forward together, mm. peacefully, mm. without without bossed around or being bossed around. Right, right. And um, have you have you published anywhere what some of those stories were in um, in South Africa? I know you mentioned it in your yeah. book. Can you can you tell us? Yeah, about uh, that? the the. The South African group, the Montfort Scenario team, developed four stories about how things could unfold in South Africa. There, they were very, very relevant at the time, which was mm-hmm. 1992. Right. Um, I think they're less relevant now, but I'll I'll tell them to you. Um, okay. Remember that 
Mandela was released in February 1990 after 27 yes. years in prison, yes. but the first all-race elections weren't till April 1994. So this was right in the middle of all the uncertainty about could we succeed in making a peaceful transition, would there be a negotiated settlement, um, how, how would the new government be elected, mm. what would be the constitution, and the stories that the South Africans told were the following. They, they told a story that they called Ostrich, which was a story about the white government, uh, which, was, uh, which had been ruling up to then, the apartheid government, sticking its head in the sand and saying, uh, we're going we're gonna to keep going as we are. We're not going to consult anybody. And that story said that that couldn't work, and eventually the ostrich would have to take its head out of the sand and uh, and deal with reality. Uh, the second scenario was called lame duck. That was a scenario about a deal being struck between the white government and the the liberation movement, the black majority, which so constrained the actions of the new government mm-hmm. that they wouldn't actually be able to to deal with the real problems the country mm-hmm. had. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a, a particular warning that was important at that time. We will take a break and we'll be right back and complete that thought, Adam. Okay. The Bottom Line in Business Talk. Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. Make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening Global Action, a seven-day gathering that will change your world. Call 866-458-2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leaders the world has been waiting for. Call today. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. 
We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're back today with Adam Kahane, the author of Solving Tough Problems, An Open Way of Talking, Listening, and Creating New Realities. Adam, before we took the break, uh, you were sharing with us some of the stories that emerged out of the work you did in South Africa in the early 90s as the culture was moving out of apartheid into a more peaceful type of existence. And um, you said there were four stories, right? And the first one was the ostrich, and the second one was you were talking about lame duck. Why don't you tell us again what that lame duck is? Well, it wasn't so much that the culture was moving out of apartheid. I mean, I guess that's one way you could talk about it. But it was a bit more of a struggle than that. People were struggling to find a way to move forward together. And Lame Duck uh, was a story about what would happen if, in the negotiation, the new government was very constrained in what it could do and therefore not able to address the country's real challenges. That was the lame duck scenario. Mm -hmm. The third scenario, which in a way was the most influential one, was called Icarus. You know, after that Greek myth of the guy who tried to fly too close to the sun. This was a story about what would happen if the government didn't have any constitutional constraints on what it could do and tried to deal with everything at once. All the poverty, uh, all the backlog, and uh, flew too high to the sun and and crashed the economy. Oh, and this was very influential because uh, this was the first time that the the liberation movement, which was a uh, a left, you know, had a left wing economic ideology, right, uh, said that uh, we can't solve all our problems at once. That we're going to have to take this step by step and do it in an economically a prudent way, and that had a big influence. That had a big influence on the economic thinking of the new government and therefore had a big influence on on what actually happened and the fact that the South African economy after the the transition, after the end of apartheid, has been better run and in better shape than it ever had been under the old regime. So this is a the way in which the stories people tell affect what they do and affect what happens in the world. The, the future is not, the future is uncertain because we can impact the future and the stories we tell to one another about what's happening and what might happen and what we ought to do about it affects what really unfolds in the world. And that was the big, that was the big revelation for me in South Africa. The fourth scenario was called Flight of the Flamingos and was the first time that a diverse group of South Africans had had told a story uh, about how together they could step by step uh, build a country that worked for everybody. That was the, the the image of the flamingos flying together and and slowly getting off the ground. And that's well, that's more or less what's been happening since then in South Africa. So it was a great example of how the people who together created a mess, in that case the mess of apartheid, could together find a way out of it peacefully. 
I'm Hello? sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. This is an opportunity for people to really try it on and uh, sit together and look at if we did X, these are the possible outcomes. Now, to do that, Adam, you've got to have people who are open-minded, right? You've got to have people, even if their belief systems are polarized, they have to be open enough to be sitting in the room together and believing that the person sitting across the table has something of value to offer them. Do you ever find that that's a problem or a struggle? Well, I think that's the essence of it all. If there's one image in my book, it's that image of opening. Mm -hmm. And so if I think that actually I don't need you, that I can make the future by myself without you, right? uh, or if I actually think that you're an idiot and that you're... you're, um, your opinions are worthless, uh, then we're not going to get very far. Yeah. And so, yes, that's the uh, that's that's the first challenge. Always is, do people believe? Do leaders believe that they need each other to make their way into the future? That's the first bridge to cross, mm-hmm. and that bridge had already been crossed in South Africa by the time right. I got there. Right because of so many years of people trying to make the future by themselves right. and not and not succeeding. So that's the that's the essence of it. How can how can I open myself up enough to to discover the future with you? Right. Right. It makes me wonder um about the possibilities for the United States government. And um, certainly what we hear on a daily basis is that there is no sense of moving forward together with anybody. (laughs) And so it's what is the possibility that something like this could work in an environment that exists the way our government exists today, our U.S. government? Well, I'm a, a Canadian living in the United States, so I have to choose my words carefully. <laughs> but uh, but I guess, the, I guess the I guess the attitude I'm talking about is in a certain way the very opposite of the attitude my way or the highway. Uh-huh. And I think the the greatest obstacles to this kind of work are fear and arrogance. Mm. So if I really believe that I can have things my way, whatever you think, and if I believe that actually I'm right and that I don't need to listen to anybody else, and more maybe at a more fundamental level, if I'm afraid that opening up to you would leave me vulnerable... Right either psychologically vulnerable or physically vulnerable, that if I let down my guard, you would kill me. Mm-hmm. If I believe any of those things, then then dialogue with you is a non-starter. Right. And a lot of people, not just in the United States and not just politically, but in their personal lives, act as though they believe those things. And so this is something that one could apply on a smaller scale, you know, i.e. in a relationship, in a family, in a smaller system, in a small organization, um, 
problems. It doesn't have to be about um, large world problems. It can actually start um, with you and me. And, in fact, you say that. Um, you say something about you have to be willing to change yourself before you can change the world. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think absolutely these things can start at a smaller scale and, in fact, have to start at a smaller scale. These are these dynamics about fear and arrogance and closeness and defensiveness and, uh, and on the one hand, and, and opening up, opening your mind, opening your heart, opening your will, these are basic human dynamics that show up in our families and in our organizations and in our communities uh, all the time. In fact, they show up within within each of us uh, in ourselves. Right. So right. I think that the essence of this work for all of us and especially for those of us who aspire to lead in any way the essence is is being able to to open up ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's certainly been my experience, and I think that's the that's the hard work. Right. Because if we can't do it ourselves, in ourselves, uh, and in our in our own lives and our families and our communities, then there's no way we can do it um, in the world, in the larger world. And you have had some experiences yourself um, as you have done your own personal development, and you've incorporated those into a theory that you have worked on for several years with some colleagues called the U process. And uh, it's a process that um, addresses how you approach highly complex challenges. And in part of that, you talk about how it's important to go deep and that you have a, a way that that happens. Can you talk about that? Yeah, the U process is a, is a theory or a, a practice of, of how, how practically to do this, this opening work, this, mm-hmm. this problem-solving work. The U process uh, is, involves three movements. It involves sitting in the complexity of the problem situation, just being with it. Um, And then secondly, it involves going deeper to ask, how am I I part of what's unfolding here? How, How is what I'm doing part of what's going on? And and what is it that's needed of me if the situation's going to change? So that's that's the bottom of the U. Okay. And then the third part of the U process is acting, but acting from that place of deeper knowing, acting from that place of knowing what it is that's needed of me, not what I need, but what's needed of me. Right. And this is a process that I've seen not just individual leaders uh, who, who are able to act from that place of service, but this is the essential dynamic I've seen in these, in these multi-stakeholder groups mm-hmm. that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. I sometimes ask myself, you know, why is it that I, 
I have found myself in so many extreme mm. situations, and I think sometimes that uh, I'm a little tone deaf, and <laughs> these dynamic I have to hear these dynamics with the volume cranked way up <laughs> before I'm going to get them. And so, you know, these dynamics are present in a muted way, in a subtle way, mm. in all human interactions. Sure. But uh, but I can hear them only at full volume, and maybe that's uh, oh. maybe that's uh, how I can be useful in in telling those stories and oh. bringing those messages back. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. Make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening Global Action, a seven-day gathering that will change your world. Call 866-458-2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leaders the world has been waiting for. Call today. Growing a business successfully not only requires increased sales, but profitable sales. Over 80% of small businesses will fail to do this in the first five years. On Acorns to Oaks, Growing Your Small Business with Tom Long, he will share his years of business experience to maximize profitability and ensure longevity and sustainability. Broadcasting every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, Acorns to Oaks, Growing Your Small Business provides insight into key areas of business, coordination of management, finance, operations, time management, people, and marketing, as well as sales. Tune in and learn how to grow your business into that mighty oak every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Listen wherever you are. 24-hour business and financial news. Solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And so what you were saying before break, Adam, um, talking about um, the use and the practicality and how this applies to you and why you work in such big, um, complex situations that you called them, they had to be really loud, high volume, right? High volume Mm -hmm. in order for them to work with you. Um, And I should say that in this theory called the U process, the U is literally the the letter U 
and mm-hmm. so our listeners can understand that um, you start the U process at the top left where you said that's where you sit with the current reality and then you move to the bottom of the U, literally the bottom of the letter U and, um, and then moving forward up to the top right of the U when you come to a co-realization um, with the people that you're with about what's possible. And so in, in the bottom of the U, where you are presencing or going in and doing some reflection to look at the inner knowing, um, you, you have done some work personally, and I know you recommend some work, um, where people actually go into the wilderness. What's your experience been of that? Well, the important thing about the U process, the important thing about the shape of the letter U is that it's a detour. I think that's the the simplest and most important thing about it, that what we're saying is, or what I'm saying is, that to that the shortest the shortest route to addressing a complex problem situation isn't necessarily the best one and that this capacity to take a detour, to step back. Mm. Um, so the, I guess I, I haven't had very dramatic wilderness experiences, unlike um, some people. What I find most important about that experience is just noticing uh, how much my my day-to-day life is is dominated by by reacting and this this internal chattering mm. and just watching in the course of hours or days how that that chattering and reacting falls away mm. and how in a way how how much has to be uncovered before I can sit in the stillness of a deeper knowing. Hmm. So it's not as though it's not as though I've had the experience personally of big big revelations in wilderness. I've just had the experience of of really being quiet and hmm. and relaxed and open and present. And, and I think that's, that's what this takes. Most problems are stuck because people are stuck in this habitual pattern of response. Hmm. Of anything that happens, they react. They, they, they do what they always do. They say what they always say. They think what they always think. And the detour of the you process is saying you have to suspend that and see see what else is there and 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 when you can suspend that what is it that comes to you what is it that you can see is needed of you mm-hmm. because our habitual responses are not are not uh, not always helpful right and when we're stuck you know as they say if you keep doing what you've always done you'll keep <laughs> getting what you always got so the you process is suspending doing what you've always done. Mm-hmm. And the wilderness retreat is 
suspending doing what you've always done, suspending your your franticness, your emails, your chatter, mm-hmm. and just being. Mm-hmm. And I find that um, a lot of people these days have difficulty imagining themselves taking time like that away, whether it's going into the wilderness or simply sitting for an afternoon by themselves. Um, It's not something that seems to be valued very much in the culture, Um, at least in the the culture of the corporate world and high productivity and um, very different from where I just returned from, which was Kim in India, where sitting quietly is a way of being. And, you know, they, they looked at us. There were six of us who were from the U.S., and they said, you all need to be quiet. <laughs> you know, like, we laughed so much because we're thinking we're pretty mellow compared to a lot of people. And yet the perspective is we don't even know how to be quiet. Mm-hmm. And I, I hear that a lot from uh, people in, in their day-to-day lives, they find they they cannot find moments for themselves, and so when you are trying to help people understand the importance, and you can give them all of the information, and you can share with them what the benefits are. Um, how often do you find that people are willing to actually try this out? Well, I have quite a practical approach to these things, and um, my the basic question I would always start with is, how is your present method? How are you doing with mm. with doing it the way you're doing it? Is it working right. for you? Right. Are right. you getting Are you getting where you want to go? And in my work, I'm I'm usually helping people who are in a situation. Where doing it the way they normally do it isn't working, mm-hmm. isn't working in their organization or in their city or in their country. Um, so I don't. It's not. It's not my job to convince people to right. lead their lives differently than they are. Uh, but if it's not working, then maybe. If it's not working, then maybe we can try something. Something, something different. different. I like the way you describe um, the complexity of problems. And you say that there are three ways that um, make problems tough. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, this is a way of looking at it that I got from my colleagues Peter Senge and, and Otto Scharmer at, at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Um, they talk about uh three ways in which problems are complex or situations are complex. Uh, They talk about dynamic complexity, which is when cause and effect are far apart in space and time. So when, you know, things happening in, in, uh, in Afghanistan affect life in New York City or things, things that happened five years ago affect what's happening now. And the bottom line about dynamic complexity is that you can't solve a problem of high dynamic complexity piece by piece. Uh, you have to look at the system as a whole. So um, the idea that, for example, 
um, the al-Qaeda people trained in Afghanistan, so if you bomb their camps in Afghanistan, you solve the problem, is not a good understanding of dynamic complexity. Mm. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, the second type of complexity they talk about is is uh, generative complexity or emergent complexity. We're, we're dealing with situations that are fundamentally new, where where we haven't been here before, and so what worked in the past won't work now, and where we have to we have to learn our way into a to to a different approach. So, I mean, if I continue on that analogy of the of the the 9/11 situation, the precedents about um, about Pearl Harbor, for example, uh, don't apply. Right. So doing doing after 9/11 what we did after Pearl Harbor, uh, finding where the finding where the bombers came from and and knocking them out uh, won't do. And the third type of complexity they talk about is social complexity, where you're dealing with a situation where the players have fundamentally different not only interests but beliefs and mental models, and where there isn't one rationality that everybody agrees to that you can just leave it up to the boss or the expert. And I think this is uh, this is maybe the most important type of complexity and also applies in this in in the situation around around 9/11 there there isn't one logic here that's accepted by everybody and so either you're going to solve it by force which is what we're trying to do right the American government is trying to do or you somehow have to find a way to talk and listen to the people with different logics and find a way forward together. And that's what we haven't really been very good at. Right. Um, and that's what I saw demonstrated for the first time in South Africa and in many other occasions since. What is it? What happens when I sit down and listen to somebody who really looks at things very differently, maybe who, who I consider to be my enemy? Maybe they really are my enemy. Mm-hmm. But what happens if I try to see the situation through their eyes? a really great question. We're going to explore this more and we come back in just a minute. More and more people are starting their day with informative, focused business talk. Top experts. Today's business issues. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. Make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening Global Action, a seven-day gathering that will change your world. Call 866-458-2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leader the world has been waiting for. Call today. 
Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Tune into Small Business Trends Radio with Anita Campbell every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Each week, Anita and expert guests provide a big picture view of the small business market, identifying the trends and major events driving the robust growth of the small business market. Whether you are a small business owner or a company of any size desiring to sell small businesses or reach the small business market with the product or service, Small Business Trends Radio is your resource for trends that influence the global small business market. Right here on the bottom line for business talk voice america business business information you need from the stock market to starting and managing your business voice america business at voiceamerica.com we appreciate you joining our leading conversations today if you would like to participate in today's conversation please call us now at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 now back to your host cheryl we're speaking today with adam gahane and adam as we um come to our last segment i have an email from a young person who knew we were going to be doing this conversation, Brian in Denver, and he says, I'm 25 years old and very interested in helping to solve our world's tough problems. At times I feel disillusioned with what I see happening in the world and don't know what to do. I would like to work somewhere I feel I'm part of a community where positive change can happen. However, I'm fearful of becoming involved with a corporate structure because it's my perception that one has to give up individuality and struggle with hierarchies to prove your worth in these settings. Do you have any advice? I look forward to hearing from you. So that's um, his question to you. What do you say, Adam? I thought it was the question to you, Cheryl. No, no, he knew you were coming. He knew you were coming on board here today and uh, was very intrigued and so what do you think? Well, I mean, if you think if there's a young person who wanted to do the kind of work you're doing or to make a difference in the way they see you making a difference, where do they start today? Well, I mean, I, maybe I have a practical answer and, a, and, a, and a, a more philosophical answer, or maybe it's a, a question. Um, so I guess the practical answer is uh, there's work of this sort to be done at every scale, including in our in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our cities and in our states, the the work of the work of of trying to deal with what we have to deal with in a in a more open and inclusive and peaceful way. I think is work that all of us can do wherever we are, mm. and. I guess the I guess the the philosophical question I would I would leave you with is uh, what is the role of hierarchy and power 
in all of this. This is this is really what I'm thinking about a lot these days. Mm. Um, before he was assassinated, Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech where he said that power properly understood is nothing but the ability to achieve purpose. And then he goes on to say, power without love is reckless and abusive, and love without power is sentimental and anemic. Mm-hmm. So what I'm thinking about these days is uh, how to do this work, this real work in the world, in a way that is not sentimental and anemic and doesn't doesn't reject power and doesn't reject hierarchy. Hmm. So I think that's the, the challenge. Mar- he ended that speech by saying that the, the, the great uh, crisis of our time is, is how to reconcile uh, immoral power and powerless morality. Hmm. So that's what I'm trying to figure out, how to do this work in a way that, that employs both love and power, and doesn't doesn't shy away from them. Mm-hmm. And the the term sentimental in this situ- in this quote is about what? Well, it's about imagining that it's a ma- it's about imagining that all you need is love, and I don't believe that's true. Yes. Yeah. And so the the anthem of the '60s um, maybe you know raised consciousness, but doesn't doesn't work today, huh? Well, I don't think it works. Uh, I don't think it worked uh, ever. And yeah. what I'm uh, struggling to do, and I don't know how to do it, is how to be bilingual, how to learn to speak the language of love and the language of power, because I think we need them both. And so these world-changing conversations definitely have to come from the heart, and there needs to be some structure that then allows them to have some teeth or some substance. Huh? Well, if we're interested in in ultimately changing the world, then we have to be we have to be willing and able to engage with power, because as Martin Luther King said. Power properly understood is nothing but the ability to achieve purpose. Mm-hmm. I love that quote. Do we have any heroic leaders today that have the capability of moving into this role as a um, consensus leader or a collective leader? Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, and I guess I don't. I don't worry about it too much because I think the dream of heroic leaders is what holds us back. And so often I go um, into complex situations where there's perfectly capable people, but who sit around and say, "If only we had a new president or a new mayor or a new CEO," and I don't find that useful at all. What do you say to them? I say to them, stop waiting. Mm. Um, uh, It would be nice, but uh, um, the challenges we're dealing with require all of us, so let's just get on with it. Mm. 
get on with it. Sounds like great advice, Adam. This has been a really special hour for me. I so appreciate having the opportunity to engage with you and hear your, I believe, uh, revolutionary thinking on how things change in our world. And um, your book, Solving Tough Problems, An Open Way of Talking, Listening, and Creating New Realities, is available in bookstores everywhere, I know, and also through your website. Is that correct? No, I think you find it most easily through through, uh, through Amazon. Okay. And um, if people want to know more about you, Adam, where can they find information about you? Uh, they can find information about me in the book um, uh, and also at www.generonconsulting, G-E-N-E-R-O-N, consulting.com. That's great. Thanks so much for being here. Next week with Leading Conversations, we will have as guest uh, Craig Neal, who is former publisher of Utney Reader and currently founder of Heartland Organization. And um, we hope to he- hear from you as listeners via email or calling in. We always want to know what you're thinking. Remember to think big, everybody because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-B-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G dot com. See you next week.